Welcome, change agents. I'm so glad you're here. This is Cheryl Klein, and you're listening to the Limitless Leader Podcast. All right, today is a very special day. We are here with Gabriella Schuster. Gabriella, thank you so much for taking the time to talk about some really important and maybe even a little uncomfortable topics today. Oh, yeah. Pleasure. Pleasure is all mine. And thank you for rescheduling. Um, I, As you know, I was in jury duty. I told the judge um, I cannot miss this interview again. So I got released. No, I'm just kidding. I got released, but I considered using that. But anyways, I am so glad that we got to reschedule for today. And before we get into talking about the incredibly vital topic of pay transparency, I thought that I would ask you a little bit about what got you to this point. I mean, what got you to to where you know where you achieved your success uh, over your 25 year span at Microsoft, your multiple boards domestically and international, and all of the amazing things that you're doing. What inspired you as a younger person? Well, I, I think that you know one of the pivotal moments in my life was. Um, when I was a junior in college, I was going to school for genetic engineering at the time. And um, and my dad, who had been um, running a department at a hospital for about 27 years, um, got laid off. And um, it was it was a horrible moment for him and for our family. Um, and uh, watching him kind of go through that and um, and just seeing how much his own ego, his own sense of identity was tied to his job um, made me rethink um, a lot about what I was heading towards and what I was going to do. Um, and I decided that I didn't want to um, be be a, be specialized. I wanted to be more of a generalist and that throughout my career, I was going to make sure that I was building as much equity in myself as I was building in the organization that I worked for. And, um, and really uh, looking at being more of a jack of all trades. And so I jumped out of genetic engineering and, um, and then just uh, graduated with a degree in psychology, because that was what I had enough credits for from all my science background and um, and then jumped, you know, jumped into the workforce as a result. It was a really pivotal moment um, for me. And excuse me, if for any of, you know, emerging leaders or maybe um, women who might be at that point that you were then, you know, in reflecting, do you have advice on that to be, you know, just from your experience and what you learned from your dad? Yeah, I mean, I think there's a few things that, um, that I would I, I would tell my younger self now, right? And and I as I mentor people, I tell them this, right? And that is um, the de- the decision you make um, when when you're in school, the 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 uh, degree you get, like there is a handful of people that are actually doing what they studied to do. Um, when you talk to them 20 or 30 years later. And the first thing you do, it doesn't have to be the thing that defines you. Um, You are going to change things up multiple times throughout your life. And and the important thing is that you're learning and you're getting experience and you are starting to sift through what you like and what you don't like. So um, every decision doesn't have to be like, 
this is the this is going to like determine the pathway I take my entire career, my entire life. Um, it, you always have an opportunity to adjust and change as you learn more. Yeah, and I think that's so important. I mean, and do you believe that that rings true too for women who have been in their career for five, 10, 15 years to shift and pivot? It does. Absolutely. Right. It, it's it's it because what you've learned up to that point isn't just about the content of the job or the company that you've worked for. It is a, a set of skills and a set of experiences. And for everything that you want to do, um, you really want to push yourself to say like, OK, well, I the next thing I do, I want to not understand or know how to do 50 percent of it. Um, because if I knew how to do more than half of the job I was going to do, it would be kind of boring. So, um, you know, so, so push yourself, like you, you can at any point in time go, I'm too comfortable in this, or I'm uncomfortable and I really don't like where I am and you have options. And the more you take control of that and start to identify and assess your strengths and where you can feel most utilized and where you can learn the most and be happiest that's the path you want to take. And it doesn't matter if it means that you have to cross out, you know, industries or disciplines to do it. Yes. So permission granted from Gabriella, which you need to just mainly give permission to yourself if this is what you are considering. Um, such, such an important point. And I think it really does tie into the conversation that we are going to have shortly on pay transparency. And so before we um, jump into that, I want wanted to ask you, since, you know, based on my background of mental toughness and high performance and your area of expertise, what is what is the mindset that has allowed your ascension, your ascension at Microsoft and having the impact that you're having on multiple boards? Um, I, you know, my mindset has always been that I want to be learning something new, right? I, I just am a continuous learner. And, um, and if I'm not doing something new and learning something new, um, then I get bored. And, um, and so it's, am I, um, am, am I having an impact? Am I um, actually, you know, going, doing something beyond myself? And um, and then am I learning something new and and am I in a position where I can share that back with others? Um, and so that's always been my mindset and how I evaluate my own success. Yeah, that that is a really, really important point. And so recently you um, posted, I saw an article that you posted on LinkedIn. And like I said, I think it really directly ties into pay transparency. And that's that four in 10 women are considering either shifting that role or exiting their role. And so can you speak a little bit to that and maybe how it ties in to the importance of pay transparency? Yeah, I mean, I think I think this time over the last couple of years, as hard as it has been, um, has given um, many people time to reflect on, am I happy? Am I doing what I want to do? Am I having the impact that I want to have? And do I want to go back to the way things were? And um, and what we're finding is that four in ten women do not want to go back to the way things were. Um, and so so then you find yourself at a crossroads. Well, what does that mean? What do I want to do? Um, and um, and so the, 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 the key is to make sure that then that next, the way you answer that question, the next step 
is in a way that is going to bring you what you define as your own personal success and happiness. So I'm really getting clear about like, okay, so if I don't want to do what I'm doing, what is it I do want to do? And, um, and how am I going to define my own success doing that? Yeah. Yeah. You bring up such, such an important, um, such an important point about self-reflection. And I think one very important component of that is feeling like you're acknowledged, respected, and paid fairly. And so I want to transition to the topic that you have done so much work and that you're really um, an advocate about, and that's the importance of pay transparency. So can you let us know, maybe from a high-level policy standpoint, what you feel needs to be happened, what you think needs to happen, as well as so until that policy takes place, what can we as individuals do to make sure that we're paid fairly? Yeah, that's a great question. So so my, my dream um, on a policy side is that we can shift policy to make it a requirement that every organization that has over 100 employees is required to report on two things. One, the diversity within their organization. Um, what does it look like and, um, and how it's classified? Every organization already has to report to the EEOC um, on that, um, on their diversity, but it is not public. And so my dream is that that is legislated and required to be public. Um, public information. The second part is that um, pay levels um, are also um, public within that. So um, there are 10 defined pay levels that the government has made um, that that it is um, becomes public domain on what those um, pay levels are. So that um, so coming out of that, what it would enable um, is that that information then enters the public domain. So all of the analytics organizations like McKinsey can then start to publish reports that are not based on customer survey and, and skewed information, but have a standard taxonomy and enable all of us to understand, um, you know, which organizations are really focused, not just with lip service, but with actions on diversity and inclusion. And then um, is there pay equity within that organization? And what we should expect when we go into interview or get hired within those organizations in terms of the pay so that we know we're getting paid equitably. Um, so, you know, that would be my dream. And, um, you know, and I think we, we, have a, we have a roadmap, a pathway to get there, um, but it may be a long, a long haul. Um, and hopefully the work that we're all doing and that everyone listening can do um, will accelerate that. But in the meantime, it does leave, with, leave us with what do we as individuals do to make sure that we are getting paid equitably for the work that we do? And um, the, the mo first, the number one thing that we have to do is to recognize um, that we are, we are doing good work and we are worth market value, right? 
Um, the second thing is to then understand what is market value. So you have to go and do the research um, on um, on the many websites that actually um, talk about the different disciplines and how much people make and what's the range. Um, and then have, maybe even have that uncomfortable conversation with other people who are doing the job you want to do um, and ask them, how much do you make? So that you have a sense of how much you should expect to make. And then when you go in to um, talk with a potential employer about how much you need to make, how much you deserve to make, um, that you practice having that conversation um, and you believe it and that you go high because you can always back down, but you can't start to, you can't, you can't go in saying, I want one cookie and then leave saying, I want two cookies, right? You can always say, I want two cookies and then back down and say, okay, one cookie is okay enough, right? And so like, you know, you've, you've got to practice that and you have to believe in it and you have to be willing to go, you know, even push yourself to go like 10% higher than what you even were going to say. Um, um, so you have someplace to go back from. Mm -hmm. Yeah, so it's so it sounds like while the policy is hopefully changing in the background, that we women have personal responsibility to help move the needle. And it comes from doing our homework, being very educated, and asking some some of the uncomfortable questions and asking other people, maybe <clears throat> excuse me, especially some of our male counterparts, what do you make? and doing that research, that homework, and then also practicing more than maybe you think that you need to. And we talked a little bit earlier before we went live about, you know, world-class performers, they really practice in an environment that's safe. So in other words, don't do your homework and then go, go to your interview. It might be do your homework, practice with your spouse, your partner, your kids, whoever need be, or a colleague, and really over prepare and um and you bring up a good point too about being worthy making peace and looking yourself in the mirror and knowing that you are worthy of that salary worthy of 10 percent um higher than that salary and um really learning how to negotiate that and believe in yourself yeah i mean you know i i had an interesting conversation with one of my one of the people that i i mentors just coming out of uh, school and um went in for an interview on in on an internship and um and they offered her um a salary before she accepted it though she did a very smart thing and she said well let me think about it and she went and she asked one of her peers who was a man who had interviewed also and been offered a salary. And she asked him, what did they offer you? And he told her, and it was 20% higher than what they offered her. And she went back and said, oh, you know what? Um, I have, there's a lot going on for me. I think that uh, to be fair, I, I would need to make, and she told him the, the number that was comparable to him. And, and they gave that to her, right? But I was still astonished that even today, I mean, like that, that is like new hire, just an intern, that they were already setting that level of disparity. Um, and so, um, yeah, I mean, you have to, you, you know, what you can use different tricks, you can say, well, that's, 
let, let me think about it. Um, let me um, take that under advisement. I have a lot of things going on. Let me consider it, right? So that you can then take the actual figure that they've given you and go see if you think that is really fair. Yeah, yeah, it's really surprising, surprising to hear, but it's also so important um, to have that skill as a young person because she'll know better going forward into her career for sure. Now, is there anything else when it when it comes to policy? What do you think is the first, the the the, the biggest kind of boulder brick that needs to be that needs to be moved, or where does more awareness need to be raised? So the thing that's holding this back, right, is um, is that we are in a very litigious society um, in the U.S. where um, where, where in an organization, if they have any level of pay discrepancy, which most do, um, they, if they gather that information and it becomes known that they know that they have a pay inequity, they need to start addressing it and they need to have a plan around addressing it. And so the, um, the challenge that we, fit, we find ourselves in now is that um, we... Um, there's, there's these organizations have feel like they are at risk um, to if they are if they are pushed faster than they can go, and um, and so it's like a chicken and the egg though because what we need to do is surround them and make them feel the pressure so that they do do the work and they do start to have a plan um, so that they aren't at risk but they can start to share and um, and get and fix. Uh, all of the challenges of the past that they've had. Um, I actually think that we're going to have a lot more success pushing this forward um, in the European countries within the EU, where um, there's been more pressure for longer on this, and that that pressure will come back and push back on the U.S. to make um, to make that change. Yeah, yeah. Um, so, so it seems like what you're saying is that if maybe if there's some way to cast a maybe a, a way to make companies to feel safe so they can make the progress without being punished or punished too much for what's transpired in the past that might reduce some of the bottleneck in addition to following the lead of those companies in the EU. Right. It's almost like putting, it's, it's, it's like saying, look, you know, we want you to start, we want you to look at this. We want you to do the work. Um, and, um, and, and here in and here, if as long as you have an action plan that says blah, I mean it's very similar to the work underway around sustainability, right? Um, organizations that are required to get to zero carbon footprint in ten years, they're given ten years. Like the government said, okay, now I'm going to put an umbrella over this and say you're not in trouble, but you have to have a plan and you have to get there by this date. Right. Um, that's what has to happen around pay equity is that we have to have stated goals, stated milestones, and then kind of put an umbrella over it that says as long as the following three things are true about the actions you're taking, um, then you won't get in trouble for where you are today. Right. Yeah, that that sounds incredibly important. And so um, getting back to individuals for women in the work 
women in the workplace or really anyone who might feel marginalized when it comes to pay equity and transparency, what is your main call to action? So for people that are going into interviews or maybe they're in a current role and they feel they either feel like or they know for a fact that there is pay equity, um, pay inequity and that this the pay has not been transparent. What is a call to action or something that you think is most most important for um, us to start doing or that we can start doing that we have control over? Yeah, I mean, you know, really, there's there's nothing that is um, more disengaging for you than to realize that you are being underpaid, right? That the work, the time, the effort that you're putting in um, is not fair. You're not being compensated fairly to others who are doing the same. And so when you learn about that, there's a couple different things that you can do. Um, one, you can have that conversation with the HR department of your employer and say, look, I have come into knowledge about the following information, um, the following data. And you don't have to like name names of, you know, how I know how much so-and-so is making, but like, I, I know that there are other individuals who are performing the same job as me who are at blah, 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 right? You can have that conversation. You have to really um, script that out for yourself, right? Like, okay, what, what might they say? What might I say? What might they say? What might I say? Um, and you have to kind of um, play that out and role play that conversation because it's very easy to, to kind of get crushed in that and um, and kind of um, lose your confidence to have that conversation. That's a very, very hard conversation. Another thing you can do is, um, is you can decide, like, if I if this doesn't go well, um, what are my options? Uh, are there other places I can do what I do and what I enjoy doing and be paid fairly? And start to research those and lay the groundwork and, um, you know, apply for those kinds of positions. That way, if you go and have that conversation with your employer and they say, well, there's nothing we're going to do about it. You can say, OK, and, but there is something I can do about that. And that is to go work somewhere else where I can feel um, fairly compensated. Right. So um, I probably suggest that one as the better path is to kind of understand your plan B. And um, and feel confident that you have a plan B, and then um, then you know go confidently forth and have that conversation. Um, be curious, Cheryl, like what you're what you're thinking. I think you um, have a lot of experience in coaching people, and so you know what would what would you say um, to those listening? Um, you did not prepare me to be uh, flipped, flipped <laughs> on this. I'm really glad to share, and out of honor, actually, of this interview. Um, my blog that went out um, is all about this and giving steps how to structure your mindset and your communication. It's actually four things to avoid when you're asking what you're worth and then some solutions of what to do. Great. So for anyone that wants that, you can just hop and get that on my website at CherylKlein.com. Um, but for those of you that don't want um, to do that, let me share a couple things right now. The, the first thing is a lot of times when we go into these kind of um, conversations, we think about me. What am I worth? What do I deserve? This is so frustrating. It's all like me, 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 which um, in, is understandable and it's understandable if you're frustrated or annoyed at the situation. 
But the problem is it's not likely going to get you the outcome that you want. So I agree with what you said 100% about doing research and having the data and the facts. You also have to do the research on the person who you are making a request from and understand what pressure are they under, what's important to them, what are their goals, what do they need from you and that type of thing and come into a conversation um, with a sentence like seems like, you know, it, it seems like um, compensation is based on many different things. And I understand 100%. See, it's, um, it's a human drive for others to feel acknowledged and validated. Um, if you bypass that step and start talking about yourself and what you want, it's, it's a little bit like asking someone to marry you without a first date. It's a little creepy and weird. And it doesn't usually end up too well. So doing your homework on that and really acknowledge, acknowledging and validating the other person. Um, that's really the, the first step yeah. and always lead with data and facts like you already said. And you just want to make sure it's a lot of we and us, not I and me. Because when women or anyone who is marginalized or not being paid fairly, it's really a win-win if they can be paid fairly. So it's similar to a little bit of what Stephen Covey talks about in the seven habits, but you always want to make sure these conversations are less about I and me and more about we and us and, and shared common goals. Yep. Um, and then really just learning how to influence, which is a longer conversation than the few minutes that we have today, but learning how to structure the communication. So the other person comes up to your perspective that it makes total sense for you to get paid what you're worth. It's not about you convincing. So maybe we'll have part two when we talk about that, but hopefully that answered your question and was also you know, helpful to anyone who's listening if they're preparing for one of these uncomfortable conversations. Um, and there's also tools and resources to be emotionally agile because understanding how to manage your emotions in these conversations is important too. Yeah. Absolutely. These are these are definitely it feels when you start into that conversation, it feels very personal. Um, it is very personal. It is your livelihood. Um, and um, and so, you know, thinking thinking about it from, um, as you said, from the company's perspective, um, but then also from, you know, what are the what is the win win? What is the contribution and the um, and the effort and and just being clear about like, well, what, what would, what is a good outcome and how do we get there? Yes. So important. Well, Gabriella, thank you so much for sharing so many gold nuggets of wisdom and also for your commitment and real advocacy to this important topic. I have a feeling that you still have even more big things to do and it's going to be really exciting to follow you. Thank you so much for your time. Thank you. Appreciate it. All right. Talk soon. If you've enjoyed this episode, follow or subscribe to the Limitless Leader podcast with Cheryl Klein on whatever podcast platform you use. We'll let you know every time we release a new episode. And if you really enjoyed what you've heard so far, rate and review us too. That's one of the best ways that you can support us and make sure that this podcast keeps going. And also, I offer a significant library of free mental toughness and high performance videos, worksheets, tips, and other helpful content on my website 
at www.cherylkline.com. Thanks for listening. I'm Cheryl Klein, and I look forward to having you back next time. And remember, you're only limited by what you think is possible. Cheering you on always.